Welcome to the United by Strength podcast. Hard work knows no gender, race, sexuality, or creed. It is the universal building block upon which successful tribes are built. Here, you will learn from powerlifting coaches, gymnastics coaches, CrossFit coaches, nutrition coaches, and strongman coaches. We collaborate and share best practices and want to bring our experience and continuing education to you. We're in the methodology section, starting on page 17 with What is Fitness? Part 1. This was originally published in October 2002. This article explains the supporting models and concepts for defining fitness. A lot of the information here can also be found in the classic CrossFit Journal article, uh, What is Fitness? by Greg Glassman. What is fitness and who is fit? In 1997, Outside Magazine crowned triathlete Mark Allen the fittest man on earth. Let us just assume for a moment that this famous six-time winner of the Ironman triathlon is the fittest of the fit. Then, what title do we bestow on the decathlete Simon Pullman, who also possesses incredible endurance and stamina, yet crushes Mr. Allen in any comparison that includes strength, power, speed, and coordination? Perhaps the definition of fitness does not include strength, speed, power, and coordination, though that seems rather odd. Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines fitness and being fit as the ability to transmit genes and being healthy. No help there. Searching the internet for a workable, reasonable definition of fitness yields disappointingly little. Worse yet, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the NSCA, the most respected publisher in exercise physiology in its highly authoritative Essentials of Strength Training and Conditioning does not even attempt a definition. CrossFit's fitness. For CrossFit, the specter of championing a fitness program without clearly defining what it is that the program delivers combines elements of fraud and farce. The vacuum of guiding authority has therefore necessitated that CrossFit provides their own definition of fitness. That is what this article is about, our fitness. Our pondering, studying, debating about, and finally defining fitness have played a formative role in CrossFit's successes. The keys to understanding the methods and achievements of CrossFit are perfectly embedded in our view of fitness and basic exercise science. It will come as no surprise to most of you that our view of fitness is a contrarian view. The general public, both in opinion and in media, holds endurance athletes as exemplars of fitness. We do not. Our incredulity on learning of outsides awarding a triathlete title of fittest man on earth becomes apparent in light of CrossFit's models for assessing and defining fitness. I'm going to take a little detour here to read the excerpt bubble, which is the infamous world-class fitness in 100 words. One of the most important things as a CrossFit coach or athlete you can have uh, tucked away in your brain. World-class fitness in 100 words. Eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar. Keep intake to levels that will support exercise, but not body fat. Practice and train major lifts, the deadlift, clean, squat, presses, clean and jerk, and snatch. Similarly, Master the basics of gymnastics, the pull-ups, dips, rope climb, push-ups, sit-ups, presses to handstand, pirouettes, flips, splits, and holds, bike, 
run, swim, row, etc. hard and fast. Five or six days per week, mix these elements in as many combinations and patterns as creativity will allow. Routine is the enemy. Keep workouts short and intense. Regularly learn and play new sports. So taking a quick opinion detour there, this is where we need to focus as CrossFit gyms and as communities. Again, noticing that the very first paragraph of this is all about nutrition. Also, the vast majority of the second paragraph, the end of it, is all gymnastics. And many of these things on this list I can highlight and say that I have hardly ever seen uh, being worked on at most CrossFit gyms that I drop in at or see. We can do better there. And then, of course, that last line. That is another one that um, we need to do better with, which is regularly learn and play new sports. I think a lot of times we get too serious about slinging around the barbell, putting up PRs, and being really, really serious about uh, trying to create uh, monsters in these facilities and not realizing that the whole point of that we're working out in here is to be a community together and have fun. And so uh, playing some uh, bringing back Hoover Ball, which we'll, we'll do that article one of these days, uh, and uh, meeting with friends, grilling, barbecuing, throwing the Frisbee around is uh, just as, if not more important than uh, crushing the next workout. Moving on to page 18. CrossFit makes use of four different models for evaluating and guiding fitness. Collectively, these four models provide the basis for CrossFit's definition of fitness. The first is based on the 10 general physical skills widely recognized by exercise physiologists. The second model is based on the performance of athletic tasks. The third is based on the energy systems that drive all human action. And the fourth uses health markers as a measure of fitness. And let's take another quick detour here and look at the 10 general physical skills in the blurb on this page. If your goal is optimum physical competence, then all the general physical skills must be considered and balanced. One, cardiovascular respiratory endurance, or the ability of body systems to gather, process, and deliver oxygen. Two, stamina, the ability of body systems to process, deliver, store, and utilize energy. Three is strength, the ability of, mus of a muscular unit or combination of muscular units to apply force. Four is flexibility, the ability to maximize the range of motion at a given joint. Number five is power, the ability of a muscular unit or combination of muscular units to apply maximum force in the minimum time. Six is speed, the ability to minimize the time cycle of a repeated movement. Seven is coordination, the ability to combine several distinct movement patterns into a singular distinct movement. Eight is agility, the ability to minimize transition time from one movement pattern to another. Nine is balance, the ability to control the placement of the body's center of gravity in relation to its support base. And number 10 is accuracy, the ability to control movement in a given direction or at a given intensity. Credit there goes to Jim Crawley and Bruce Evans of Dynamax, the makers of those infamous and so wonderful uh, medicine balls that we use in the gym all the time. Back to the text. Each model is critical to CrossFit, and each has distinct utility in evaluating an athlete's overall fitness or a strength and conditioning regimen's efficiency or efficacy, rather. Before explaining in detail how each of these four models works, it warrants mention that we are not attempting to demonstrate our program's legitimacy through scientific principles. We are but sharing the methods of a program whose legitimacy has been established through the testimonial of athletes, soldiers, cops, and others whose lives 
or livelihoods depend on fitness. Quote from Greg Glassman, our emphasis on skill development is integral to our charter of optimizing work capacity. CrossFit's first fitness model, the 10 general physical skills. There are 10 recognized general physical skills. They are cardiovascular respiratory endurance, stamina, strength, flexibility, power, speed, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. You are as fit as you are competent in each of these 10 skills. A regimen develops fitness to the extent that it improves each of these 10 skills. Any of you out there studying for your level three, uh, pay a friend or family member to uh, wake you up violently uh, in the middle of the night randomly and quiz you on the 10 general physical skills, and you better be able to recite them verbatim. Importantly, improvements in endurance, stamina, strength, and flexibility come about through training. Training refers to activity that improves performance through a measurable organic change in the body. By contrast, improvements in coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy come about through practice. Practice refers to activity that improves performance through changes in the nervous system. Power and speed are adaptations of both training and practice. On to page 19. There is a table on page 19 that you'll need to check out. It's a summary of the three metabolic pathways. And what it's doing is it's breaking down those three, the phosphocreatine, the glycolytic, and the oxidative. And it goes down the list in terms of giving you uh, markers that will show you what types of activities or what characteristics of activities uh, place them into which uh, predominant uh, energy system they use, such as time domain, whether it's aerobic or anaerobic, relative power output, uh, location, uh, ATP mechanism, things like that. You need to check out this table to be familiar with it. CrossFit's second fitness model, the hopper. The essence of this model is the view that fitness is about performing well at any and every task imaginable. Picture a hopper loaded with an infinite number of physical challenges where no selective mechanism is operative and being able to perform feats randomly drawn from the hopper. This model suggests that your fitness can be measured by your capacity to perform well at these tasks in relation to other individuals. The implication here is that fitness requires an ability to perform well at all tasks, even unfamiliar tasks. Tasks combine in an infinitely varying combinations. In practice, this encourages the athlete to disinvest in any set notions of sets, rest periods, reps, exercises, order of exercises, routines, periodization, etc. Nature frequently provides largely unforeseeable challenges. Train for that by striving to keep the training stimulus broad and constantly varied. CrossFit's third fitness model, the metabolic pathways. There are three metabolic pathways that provide the energy for all human action. These Metabolic engines are known as the phosphagen or phosphocreatine pathway, the glycolytic or lactate pathway, and the oxidative or aerobic pathway. The first, the phosphagen, dominates the highest powered activities, those that last less than about 10 seconds. The second pathway, the glycolytic, dominates moderate powered activities, those that last up to several minutes. The third pathway, the oxidative, dominates low powered activities, those that last in excess of several minutes. Total fitness, the fitness that CrossFit promotes and develops, requires competency and training in each of these three pathways or engines. 
Balancing the effects of these three pathways largely determines the how and why of the metabolic conditioning or cardio that we do at CrossFit. Favoring one or two to the exclusion of the others and not recognizing the impact of excessive training in the oxidative pathway are arguably the two most common faults in fitness training, and we will talk more about that later. CrossFit's fourth fitness model, the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. There is another aspect to the CrossFit's fitness that is of great interest and immense value to us. We have observed that nearly every measurable value of health can be placed on a continuum that ranges from sickness to wellness to fitness. Though tougher to measure, we would even add mental health to this observation. Depression is clearly mitigated by proper diet and exercise to genuine fitness. For example, a blood pressure of 160 over 95 is pathological. 120 over 70 is considered normal or healthy, and 105 over 55 is consistent with an athlete's blood pressure. A body fat of 40% is pathological, 20% is normal or healthy, and 10% is fit. We observe a similar ordering for bone density, triglycerides, muscle mass, flexibility, HDL or good cholesterol, resting heart rate, and dozens of other common measures of health. Many authorities make a clear distinction between health and fitness. Frequently, they cite studies that suggest that the fit may not be health protected. A close look at the supporting evidence invariably reveals the studied group is endurance athletes, and we suspect endurance athletes on a dangerous fad diet, such as a high-carbohydrate, low-fat, low-protein diet. Here's figure four, which is on page 21, which is the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum. This is also easily Googled. Just Google CrossFit's sickness, wellness, fitness continuum, and you'll get a picture of that real easy. You can uh, copy or save for your own reference. Done right, fitness provides a great margin of protection against the ravages of time and disease. Where you find otherwise, examine the fitness protocol, especially diet. Fitness is and should be super wellness. Sickness, wellness, and fitness are measures of the same entity. A fitness regimen that does not support health is not CrossFit. Read that sentence 1,600 more times. A fitness regimen that does not support health is not CrossFit. Common ground. The motivation for the four models is simply to ensure the broadest and most general fitness possible. Our first model evaluates our efforts against a full range of general physical adaptations. In the second, the focus is on breadth and depth of performance. With the third, the measure is time, power, and consequently energy systems. And the fourth is on health markers. It should be fairly clear that the fitness that CrossFit advocates and develops is deliberately broad, general, and inclusive. Our specialty is not specializing. Combat, survival, many sports, and life itself reward this kind of fitness and, on average, punish the specialist. Implementation. Our fitness, being CrossFit, comes through molding men and women that are equal parts gymnast, Olympic weightlifter, and multimodal sprinter or sprint athlete. Develop the capacity of a novice 800-meter track athlete, gymnast, and weightlifter, and you will be fitter than any world-class runner, gymnast, or weightlifter. Let us know, let us look at how CrossFit incorporates metabolic conditioning or cardio, gymnastics, and weightlifting to forge the world's fittest men and women. First, let's look at metabolic conditioning. 
or CrossFit's cardio. Biking, running, swimming, rowing, speed skating, and cross-country skiing are collectively known as metabolic conditioning. In the common vernacular, they are referred to as cardio. CrossFit's third fitness model, the one that deals with metabolic pathways, contains the seeds of the CrossFit cardio prescription. To understand the CrossFit approach to cardio, we need first to briefly cover the nature and interaction of the three major pathways. And uh, there is a table two on page 22 that goes over some of these, uh, just illustrates uh, the point they made about the uh, sickness, wellness, fitness continuum and how we can easily see that just about anything that your doctor uh, would measure, would want to measure, can easily be laid out on this uh, overlapping this continuum of uh, values that are sick, values that are well, and values that are fit. Of the three metabolic pathways, the first two, the phosphagen and the glycolytic, are anaerobic, and the third, the oxidative, is aerobic. We need not belabor the biomechanical significance of aerobic and anaerobic systems. Suffice it to say that the nature and interaction of anaerobic exercise and aerobic exercise is vital to understanding conditioning. Just remember that efforts at moderate to high power and lasting less than several minutes are anaerobic and efforts at low power and lasting in excess of several minutes are aerobic. As an example, the sprints at 100, 200, 400, and 800 meters are largely anaerobic, and events like the 1500 meter, the mile, 2000 meters, and 3000 meters are largely aerobic. Aerobic training benefits cardiovascular function and decreases body fat. All good. Aerobic conditioning allows us to engage in low-power extended efforts efficiently, aka cardiorespiratory endurance and stamina. This is critical to many sports. Athletes engaged in sports or training where the preponderance of the training load is spent in aerobic efforts witness decreases in muscle mass, strength, speed, and power. It is not uncommon to find marathoners with a vertical leap of only several inches. Furthermore, aerobic activity has a pronounced tendency to decrease anaerobic capacity. This does not bode well for most athletes or those interested in elite fitness. Anaerobic activity also benefits cardiovascular function and decreases body fat. In fact, Anaerobic exercise is superior to aerobic exercise for fat lo loss. Anaerobic activity is, however, unique in its capacity to dramatically improve power, speed, strength, and muscle mass. Anaerobic conditioning allows us to exert tremendous forces over brief time intervals. One aspect of anaerobic conditioning that bears great consideration is that anaerobic conditioning will not adversely affect aerobic conditioning. In fact, properly structured anaerobic activity can be used to develop a very high level of aerobic fitness without the muscle wasting consistent with high volumes of aerobic exercise. The method by which we use anaerobic efforts to develop aerobic conditioning is interval training. Basketball, football, gymnastics, boxing, track events under one mile, soccer, swimming events under 400 meters, volleyball, wrestling, and weightlifting are all sports that require the vast majority of training time spent in anaerobic activity. Long distance and ultra endurance running, cross country skiing, and 1500 meter plus swimming are all sports that require aerobic training at levels that produce results unacceptable to other athletes or the individual concerned with total conditioning and optimal health. We strongly recommend that you attend a track meet of nationally or internationally competitive athletes. 
Pay close attention to the physiques of the athletes competing at 100, 200, 400, and 800 meters. And then look at the milers, or people running longer than a mile. The difference you are sure to notice is a direct result of training at those distances. Let's take a quick quote from Greg Glassman. Blur the distinction between strength training and metabolic conditioning for the simple reason that nature's challenges are typically blind to the distinction. Interval training. The key to developing the cardiovascular system without an unacceptable loss of strength, speed, and power is interval training. Interval training mixes bouts of work and rest in a in timed intervals. Table three gives guidelines for interval, interval training. We can control the dominant metabolic pathway conditioned by varying the duration of the work and rest interval and number of repetitions. Note that the phosphagen pathway is the dominant pathway in intervals of 10 to 30 seconds of work followed by rest of 30 to 90 seconds or a work-to-rest cycle of 1 to 3, repeated 25 to 30 times. The glycolytic pathway is the dominant pathway in intervals of 30 to 120 seconds work followed by rest of 60 to 240 seconds, or a work-to-rest cycle of 1 to 2, repeated 10 to 20 times. And finally, the oxidative pathway is the dominant pathway in intervals of 120 to 300 seconds of work followed by rest of 120 to 300 seconds or a work to recovery ratio of 1 to 1. The bulk of metabolic training should be interval training. Interval training need not be so structured or formal. One example would be to sprint between one set of telephone poles and jog between the next set, alternating in this manner for the duration of a run. One example of an interval that CrossFit makes regular use of is the Tabata interval, which is 20 seconds of work followed by 10 seconds of rest repeated eight times. Dr. Izumi Tabata published research that demonstrated that this interval pro protocol produced remarkable increases in both anaerobic and aerobic capacity. It is highly desirable to regularly experiment with interval patterns of varying combinations of rest, work, and repetitions. And we're on here to page 24. One of the best resources on interval training comes from Dr. Steven Seiler with articles on interval training and another one on the time course of training adaptations that contain the seeds of CrossFit's heavy reliance on interval training. The article on the time course of training adaptations explains that there are three waves of adaptations to endurance training. The first wave is increased maximal oxygen consumption, the second is increased lactate threshold. The third is increased efficiency. In, cross, in the CrossFit concept, we are interested in maximizing first wave, wave adaptations and procuring the second systematically through multiple modalities, including weight training and avoiding completely third wave adaptations. Second and third wave adaptations are highly specific to the activity in which they are developed and can be detrimental with too much focus to the broad fitness that we advocate and develop. A clear understanding of this material has prompted us to advocate regular high-intensity training in as many training modalities as possible through largely anaerobic efforts and intervals while deliberately and specifically avoiding the efficiency that accompanies mastery of a single modality. It is at first ironic that our interpretation of Dr. Seiler's work was not his intention, but when our quest of optimal physical competence is viewed in the light of Dr. Seiler's more specific aim of maximizing endurance performance, our interpretation is coaches out there who 
kind of nerd out on uh, West Side Barbell or are interested in it, I mean, you should be if you're a coach in general, um, should notice here that paragraph I just finished reading um, is a striking resemblance between CrossFit's methodology and West Side Barbell's conjugate method. And in fact, you know, Glassman and Louie, there's a couple of old school YouTube videos out there that still show when um, CrossFit was starting out, them spending time there and getting to know Louie's methodology. Um, but if you study that or look into it, you really, really should uh, notice the, the similarity here between uh, what Louie always calls the law of accommodation, which is what he's always trying to avoid with his athletes. Uh, you know, the definition of the conjugate method is, you know, varying constant rotation of exercises and barbells and positioning and things like that so that the athlete never truly adapts to the training. That third wave adaptation that was, that I just read, which is efficiency, is the reason why, you know, clients join a globo gym and just do the elliptical for 40 minutes. And what'll happen is they'll lose a little bit of weight in the first couple of days or week or two of uh, coming to the gym, even if they do come regularly. Uh, but then after uh, a week or two, uh, their body adapts to the machine or that constant single way of doing things and becomes efficient at it. That's what our bodies are good at. And all of a sudden, that same 40 minutes on the elliptical is only burning uh, a quarter or less of the calories that it was when they first started. So that that's kind of the uh, foundation upon which the constant variance in CrossFit was, was built on. Um, so check that out. Um, learn that those two things are, are the same. And in fact, CrossFit very likely built uh, its concepts upon what they found from Louis's uh, original bringing over from Russian and later Chinese uh, weightlifting or powerlifting techniques. So gymnastics is our next section here on page 24. Our use of the term gymnastics not only includes the traditional competitive sport that we have seen on TV, but all activities like climbing, yoga, calisthenics, and dance, where the aim is body control. It is within this realm of activities that we can develop extraordinary strength, especially upper body and trunk, flexibility, coordination, balance, agility, and accuracy. In fact, the traditional gymnast has no peer in terms of development of these skills. CrossFit uses short parallel bars, mats, still rings, pull-up and dip bars, and a climbing rope to implement our gymnastics training. <laughs> the starting place for gymnastic competency lies with the well-known calisthenic movements, pull-ups, push-ups, dips, and rope climbs. These movements need to form the core of your upper body strength work. Set goals for achieving benchmarks like 20, 25, and 30 pull-ups, 50, 75, and 100 push-ups. 20, 30, 40, and 50 dips, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 consecutive trips up the rope without any use of the feet or legs. Page 25. The top of page 25, there's a table 3, which is a representative guidelines for interval training. So it gives you a guide for how to design your interval training workouts gives you which uh, energy system you want to target, the duration, and the work-to-rest ratio. So very, very useful table. At 15 pull-ups and dips each, it is time to start working regularly on a muscle-up. The muscle-up is moving from a hanging position below the rings to a supported position, arms extended above the rings. I just want to go back and read that first sentence again, just for all of you out there with... Uh, uh, shoulder injury or something like that. Uh, coaches out there who have caused a shoulder injury and any of their people uh, at 15, 15 pull-ups and dips each, each. It is time to start working regularly on a muscle-up. Cool. Now that we got that out of the way, it is a combination movement containing both a pull-up and a dip. Far from a contrivance. The muscle-up is hugely functional. 
With a muscle up, you will be able to surmount any object on which you can get a finger hold. If you can touch it, you can get up on it. The value here for survival, police, firefighter, and military use is impossible to overstate. The key to developing the muscle up is pull-ups and dips. While developing your upper body strength with the pull-ups, push-ups, dips, and rope climbs, a large measure of balance and accuracy can be developed through mastering the handstand. Start with a headstand against the wall if you need to. Once reasonably comfortable with the inverted position of the headstand, you can practice kicking up to the handstand against again against a wall. Later, take the handstand to the short parallel bars or parallelettes without the benefit of the wall. After you can hold a handstand for several minutes without the benefit of the wall or a spotter, it is time to develop a pirouette. A pirouette is lifting one arm and turning on the supporting arm 90 degrees to regain the handstand, then repeating this with alternate arms until you have turned 180 degrees. This skill needs to be practiced until it can be done with little chance of falling from the handstand. Work in intervals of 90 degrees as benchmarks of your growth. 90, 180, 270, 360, 450, 540, 630, and finally 720 degrees. Years and years and years worth of practice there and getting better with an athlete. No equipment required, just gravity and a mat. <clears throat> no excuses for not being able to afford uh, a bunch of machinery. Walking on the hands is another fantastic tool for developing both the handstand and balance and accuracy. <clears throat> a football field or sidewalk is an excellent place to practice and measure your progress. You want to be able to walk 100 yards in the handstand without falling. All my quarantine CrossFitters out there right now during the COVID-19 pandemic who don't have access to their gym, every time I walk by the local football field, I should see you guys out there practicing your handstands, handstand walking. Competency in the handstand readies the athlete for handstand presses. Oh, yeah. So competency in the handstand. We've already gotten the handstand. We've already then handstand walked. Then and only then are we now practicing the handstand press or handstand push-up. There is a family of presses that range from relatively easy ones that any beginning gymnast can perform to ones so difficult that only the best gymnasts competing at national levels can perform. Their hierarchy of difficulty is bent arm and bent body, bent leg, straight arm, bent body. This is a nice complicated list to read. Bent leg, straight arm, bent body, straight leg bent arm, straight body, straight leg, and finally, the monster, straight arm, straight body, straight leg. It is not unusual to take 10 years to get these five presses. The trunk flexion work in gymnastics is beyond anything you will see anywhere else. Even the beginning gymnastic trunk movements cripple bodybuilders, weightlifters, and martial artists. The back the basic sit-up and L-holds are the staples. The L-hold is nothing more than holding your trunk straight, supported by locked arms, hands on bench, floor, or parallel bars, and hips at 90 degrees with legs straight held out in front of you. You want to work towards a three-minute hold in benchmark increments of 30 seconds. For most of us human beings, Try 15 seconds. <clears throat> when you can hold an L for three minutes, all your old ab work will be silly easy. If there's anyone out there who has a three-minute L set, send a video and um, I'll mail you $100. <laughs> we recommend Bob Anderson's stretching. This is a simple, no-nonsense approach to flexibility. The science of stretching is weakly developed and many athletes like gymnasts who demonstrate great flexibility receive no formal instruction. Just do it. 
Generally, you want to stretch in a warm in a warm up to establish safe, effective range of motion for the ensuing activity, and stretch during cool down to improve flexibility. There is a lot of material to work with here. We highly recommend an adult gymnastics program. Good luck finding one, if there is one in your area. Our friends at www drillsandskills.com have enough material to keep you busy for years. This is among our favorite fitness sites. I think that actually still does work uh, if you check it out. Uh, some of these websites that are in the old CrossFit gym articles are as by necessity almost you know, cl getting close on 20 years old. So uh, some of them don't exist anymore. But I actually think uh, Drills and Skills still does. And it's got more gymnastics uh, ideas and movements than you can possibly imagine. Uh, every workout should contain regular gymnastics calisthenic movements that you have mastered and other elements under development. Much of the rudiments of gymnastics come only through with great effort and frustration. That is acceptable. The return is unprecedented and the most frustrating elements are most beneficial long before you have developed even a modicum of competency. That's a good uh, opinion injection there too, is I hear I, so many times uh, programmers or gym owners or, or whatever uh, high-end coaches uh, delivering the sentiment of, of essentially giving up without saying it in so many words on advanced gymnastics movements and the, the old fallback and the gripe is always you know my members have no none of these people actually need to be able to do a I don't know muscle up or pirouette or any of these hard uh, movements even in L sit in some instances I very rarely see parallelettes in uh CrossFit gyms anymore. And uh, again, I think this paragraph just summed it up. Uh, a lot of it I see is in overly complex, bought third-party hand wave garbage programming um, instead of writing your own or doing the right thing and following CrossFit.com and then adding in some of the other stuff here. So as I said, contain regular gymnastic or calisthenic movements, right, that you've mastered. So the stuff that you're amazing at, if you kick ass at push-ups and sit-ups and that great stuff, Put it in the Metcon. That's what it's there for. And then because your workouts are short and intense, not 30 to 40 minute grinds every single day, right? Like some of the programming I see out there, because your workouts are short and intense, there's plenty of time left in that hour to practice these movements like L-sits, like pirouettes, like handstand walks, like muscle ups with coaching, right? This is where coaching comes in, where you actually make people better with your skill, right? This is where you put that stuff in. On to weightlifting, page 26, bottom of it. Weightlifting as opposed to weight lifting, right? One word as opposed to two words and or weight training refers to the Olympic sport, which includes the clean and jerk and the snatch. Weightlifting as it is often referred to, develops strength, especially in the hips, speed and power like no other training modality. It is little known that successful weightlifting requires, a, requires substantial flexibility. Olympic weightlifters are as flexible as any athletes. The benefits of weightlifting do not end with strength, speed, power, and flexibility. The clean and jerk and the snatch both develop coordination, agility, accuracy, and balance, and to no small degree. Both of these lifts are as nuanced and challenging as any movement in all of sport. Moderate competency in the Olympic lifts confers added prowess to any sport. The Olympic lifts are based on the deadlift, clean, squat, and jerk. These movements are the starting point for any serious weight training program. In fact, they should serve as the core of your resistance training throughout your life. Why the deadlift, clean, squat, and jerk? Because these movements elicit a profound neuroendocrine response. That is, they alter you hormonally and neurologically. The changes that occur through these movements are essential to athletic development. 
most of the development that occurs as a result of exercise is systemic and a direct result of hormonal and neurological changes. Curls, lateral raises, leg extensions, leg curls, flies, and other bodybuilding movements have no place in a serious strength and conditioning program, primarily because they have a blunted or non-existent neuroendocrine response. A distinctive feature of these relatively worthless movements is that they have no functional analog in everyday life, and they work only one joint at a time. Compare this to the deadlift, clean, squat, and jerk, which are functional and multi-joint movements. Now, this is another digression point, but this is where we get a lot of contention from you know, a lot of times in CrossFit, this this paragraph in particular gets uh, argued with quite a bit. And I think, again, if, if you take into context the goal of CrossFit, which is a broad, general, and inclusive fitness, we're trying to get the maximum amount of benefit from that one hour a day, like we were talking about. It's a no-brainer. And it's a no-brainer. That, that paragraph is very, very true in that if we, we got one hour a day every day, Uh, That's the way we want to spend it with those types of functional movements. Now, in bodybuilding, which I'm very unfamiliar with, so I'm not going to speak to it very much, it's pretty obvious that those movements can elicit some some great results. But in my personal past experience in in seeing bodybuilders or or getting to know them, right, they're spending way more than the 45 minutes of uh, hard work that the average CrossFitter is doing in the gym every day. We're talking more in the two to three hour range. Uh, these, these athletes are also usually sponsored, right? They're the very successful ones. This is their full-time gig. Um, and similarly, another one, as I mentioned, Westside Barbell or Louis Simmons before, this is where he would have a major contention as well in that the special exercises that, uh, the Westside or conjugate program, um, uh, uh, recommends or uses a lot of, uh, they're, they're all single joint. They're bodybuilding style movements. However, however, um, they are generally utilized in a different way than what the average public gym goer is thinking, right? Your average person who's signing up for a gym membership is seeing this kind of stuff in a magazine or on the interwebs or in menshealth.com or some other garbage like that. And so they're thinking that these movements are really going to be the core or the foundation of solid exercise. And that's not true. And that's not how Louie or Westside or any of those other successful athletes do it either. Uh, they're successful. Their their core of their uh, training is their deadlift, bench press, back squat, right? That's the three movements in their sport. The special exercises are meant to specifically target auxiliary muscle groups or build up weaknesses. They also do a ton of single joint work with bands. They do a lot of stuff with cable flies and bands and things, and as opposed to uh, straight weight. And a lot of the reasoning for that is to build up, uh, again, those uh, specific muscles. And they're doing this for hours, right? Lots and lots of time that your average soccer mom trying CrossFit does not have the time to do. Um, And they're usually, again, they're using bands and things like that, many hundreds of reps of these things, and it's to build up tendons and ligaments to help support the musculature on the bone. And again, I have no opinion on or or actually, you know, of negativity towards steroids, but one of the things with steroids is that it helps you build muscle like crazy, but it does not uh, generally bring up your tendons and ligaments uh, as quickly as your musculature. So if you are using steroids and getting really good results in terms of muscle growth, you should be doing uh, single joint movements and a lot of these um, pumping style exercises like Westside recommends or in bodybuilding because it brings blood to and develops those tendons and ligaments that will prevent uh, you ripping a bicep off or something like that because your musculature has gotten strong enough to move a weight, but the things strapping your muscles to your bones have not kept up with their growth because you're using exogenous uh, steroids, right? Uh, so you sh- there's definitely a place for these things, but not really in the everyday person who's just trying to get fit and be really healthy. 
they should just stick with the functional movements. There's plenty of growth there before we need to incorporate those other things. So whereas, you know, here in this paragraph, like I just read, worthless, the word worthless gets thrown around, which is a pretty intense word. I would say for the average everyday person, yeah, it's worthless in terms of like you don't need it right now. Now, when we get up to the elite level, when we're when we're now talking about winning world records and things, that's when those single joint movements and things come back into play. All right. Start your weightlifting career with the deadlift, clean, squat, and jerk. Then introduce the clean and jerk and snatch. Much of the best weight training material on the internet is found on powerlifting sites. Powerlifting is the sport of three lifts, the bench press, squat, and deadlift. Powerlifting is a superb start to a lifelong program, followed later by more the more dynamic clean and the jerk, and finally the clean and jerk and the snatch. The movements that we are recommending are very demanding and very athletic. As a result, they have kept athletes interested and intrigued where the typical fare offered in most gyms, bodybuilding movements, typically bores athletes to distraction. Weightlifting is sport. Weight training is not. And a quick quote from Greg Glassman. If strength at high heart rates is fundamental to your sport, then you'd best perform your resistance training at high heart rate, right? On to throwing. Our program includes not only weightlifting and powerlifting, but also throwing work with medicine balls. The medicine ball work we favor provides both physical training and general movement practice. We are huge fans of the Dynamax medicine ball and associated throwing exercises. The medicine ball drills add another potent stimulus for strength, power, speed, coordination, agility, balance, and accuracy. There is a medicine ball game known as Hoover ball. We need to bring it back. It is played with an eight foot volleyball net and scored like tennis. This game burns three times more calories than tennis and is great fun. The history and rules of Hoover Ball are available from the internet. There is a CrossFit Journal article on Hoover Ball, and you can buy Hoover Balls from Rogue, I believe, and also from Dynamax. So you should definitely check those out. With summer coming around the corner, we need to bring back Hoover Ball. I know I'm going to be doing it in our gym culture. Another quote here from Greg Glassman. There is no single sport or activity that trains for perfect fitness. True fitness requires a compromise and adaptation broader than the demands of most every sport. Excellent. Nutrition paragraph, page 28. Nutrition plays a critical role in your fitness. Proper nutrition can amplify or diminish the effect of your training efforts. Effective nutrition is moderate in protein, carbohydrate, and fat. Forget about the fad, high-carbohydrate, low-fat, and low-protein diet. Balanced macronutrient and healthy nutrition looks more like 40% carbohydrate, low-glycemic, 30% protein, and 30% fat. Dr. Barry Sears' zone diet still offers the greatest precision, efficacy, and health benefit of any clearly defined protocol. The zone diet does an adequate job of jointly managing issues of blood glucose control, proper macronutrient proportion, and caloric restriction. Whether your concern is athletic performance, disease prevention and longevity, or body composition, we recommend that everyone read Dr. Sears' book, Enter the Zone. Also, we'll cover that again in the nutrition section. <clears throat> Sport plays a wonderful role in fitness. Sport is the application of fitness in a fantastic atmosphere of competition and mastery. Training efforts typically include relatively predictable predictable, repetitive movements and provide limited opportunity for the essential combination 
of our 10 general physical skills. It is, after all, the combined expression or application of the 10 general skills that is our motivation for their development in the first place. Sports and games like soccer, martial arts, baseball, and basketball, in contrast to our training workouts, have more varied and less predictable movements, but where sports develop and require all 10 general skills simultaneously, they do so slowly compared to our strength and conditioning regimen. Sport is better, in our view, at expression and testing of skills than it is at developing these same skills. Both expression and development are crucial to our fitness. Sport, in many respects, more closely mimics the demands of nature than does our training. We encourage and expect our athletes to engage in regular sports efforts in addition to all of their strength and conditioning work. Man, and this is a big one where we can pick up some of the slack. The good, the good CrossFit gyms out there, you know, are the ones where you see them playing flag football or ultimate frisbee or Hoover ball or volleyball or tennis. Any of these other things, they sh- there should be little clubs and or major gatherings on a regular basis in any good CrossFit gym community where we're playing sport. Uh, even if that's a potlucks or a kegger on the weekends, uh, as, as a group with the gym, there should be, uh, some ball sports or, or frisbees or something getting checked around during those gatherings. Um, that's how we express the fitness that we fought so hard to garner through our training. A theoretical hierarchy of development. A theoretical hierarchy exists for the development of an athlete. That's figure five over here, which is on the bottom of page 28. That is the classic, again, one of the really important pictures that you should Google, download, slap on your fridge, whatever. Uh, A pyramid looks a lot like the old food pyramid that has been killing everybody. Uh, Better filled with more appropriate things here for the hierarchy of an athlete development, which is beginning with nutrition then metabolic conditioning at the next level, followed by gymnastics, weightlifting and throwing, and sport at the very, very top. A theoretical hierarchy exists for the development of an athlete. It starts with nutrition and moves to metabolic conditioning, then gymnastics, then weightlifting, and finally sport. This hierarchy largely reflects foundational dependence skill, and to some degree, time ordering of development. The logical flow is from molecular foundations, cardiovascular sufficiency, body control, external object control, and ultimately mastery and application. This model has greatest utility in analyzing athletes' shortcomings or difficulties. We do not deliberately order these components, but nature will. If you have a deficiency at any level of the pyramid, the components above will suffer. Integration. Every regimen, every routine contains within its structure a blueprint for its deficiency. If you only work your weight training at low reps, you will not develop the localized muscular endurance that you might have otherwise. If you work high reps exclusively, you will not build the same strength or power that you would have at low reps. There are advantages and disadvantages to working out slowly or quickly with high weights or low weights, completing cardio before or after, etc. For the fitness that we are pursuing, Every parameter within your control needs to be modulated to broaden the stimulus as much as possible. Your body will only respond to an unaccustomed stressor. Routine is the enemy of progress and broad adaptation. Do not subscribe to high reps or low reps or long rests or short rests, but strive for a variance. So then, what are we to do? 
Work on becoming a better weightlifter, stronger, better gymnast, and faster rower, runner, swimmer, cyclist. That is the answer. There is an infinite number of regimens that will deliver the goods. Generally, we have found that three days on and one day off allows for a maximum sustainability at maximum intensities. One of our favorite workout patterns is to warm up and then perform three to five sets of three to five reps of a fundamental lift at a moderately comfortable pace, followed by a 10-minute circuit of gymnastic elements at a blistering pace, and finally finish with two to 10 minutes of high-intensity metabolic conditioning. There is nothing sacred to this pattern. The magic is in the movements, not the routine. Be creative. Another favorite is to blend elements of gymnastics and weightlifting in couplets that combine to a dramatic metabolic challenge. An example would be to perform five reps of a moderately heavy back squat followed immediately by a set of max reps pull-ups repeated three to five times. Taking a note there on that three days on, one day off thing, that is another. It's been in the level one handbook since forever. And I, I you know, I'll bring it up to people, uh, athletes who I, I coach or talk to who go to other CrossFit gyms, and they've never heard of it before, which it just blows me away. So that tells me that most coaches out there, a lot of coaches out there, are not giving a prescription to their athletes of that three on one off, or at least prescribing any, or in many cases, any kind of rest. Because a lot of times when we see a burnout or a overuse injury or something in an athlete, when I ask them and I dig a little deeper into it, what I usually find is there's no rest prescription from their coach. Uh, they were, you know, more was not necessarily told to be better, but it it just was never discussed. And so uh, your average person has no conception of of recovery, rest to work ratios and what's optimal, right? So they come to CrossFit, it starts getting them better and boom. Well, of course, if a little bit was good, then I need to pile on a ton of it, obviously. Uh, So they start coming seven days a week and then doing extra work at home or staying after. And then before you know it, boom, guess what happens? Injury. We can create routines like this forever. In fact, our CrossFit.com archives contain thousands of daily workouts consciously mixed and varied in this manner. Perusing them will give you an idea of how we mix and modulate our key elements. Looks like I missed a paragraph. The paragraph before that was, on other occasions, we will take five or six elements balanced between weightlifting, metabolic conditioning, and gymnastics, and combine them in a single circuit that we blow through three times without a break. Right? So back and forth here, you're seeing the what we commonly called like couplets and triplets, right? Which is the heart of CrossFit programming. And again, here we can create routines like this forever. In fact, .com has thousands of them. And that is true. There's free programming uh, on on CrossFit.com. And many would argue the best in terms of actually being constantly varied uh, and short and intense enough to actually deliver high intensity. We have not mentioned here our penchant for jumping, kettlebells, odd object lifting, and obstacle course work. The recurring theme of functionality and variety clearly suggest the need and validity for their inclusion, though. That's a powerful statement in and of itself. A lot of this third-party programming that you see at a lot of CrossFit gyms, one of the things I notice immediately is they do not hit multiple energy systems very much. It's almost all longer workouts pushing most people into uh, aerobic status and the variety of exercises is super limited. It's, it's mostly focusing on developing people for the games. So it's all, you know, um, assault bike and, and barbell and very little gymnastics, almost no odd object kind of stuff, nothing, uh, other than machines and, and weightlifting. 
back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, rinse, wash, repeat. Finally, strive to blur distinctions between cardio and strength training. Nature has no regard for this distinction or any other, including our 10 physical adaptations. We will use weights and plyometrics training to elicit a metabolic response and sprinting to improve strength. Scalability and applicability. The question regularly arises as to the applicability of a regimen like CrossFit's to older and deconditioned or untrained populations. The needs of an Olympic athlete and our grandparents differ by degree, not kind. One of the most important sentences you could memorize. One is looking for functional dominance, the other for functional competence. Competence and dominance manifest through identical physiological mechanisms. What that paragraph tells you is that you have a conversation to have when someone tells you, oh, I'm not fit enough to try CrossFit yet. I'm not ready for that. I need to, I, I need to, I've heard that so many times. It's crazy. I need to get in shape before starting to come to CrossFit. And that's a conversation that you need to have. And if anyone in your gym is saying that or leaves because of that, then that's because you're not a good enough coach. You need your, you have too many athletes. You got too many members uh, or your, you or your coaches are not good enough. Uh, you need to improve your skills, your scalability, and your, uh, uh, your command of these exercises and the stimulus, mostly the charter, right? Mechanics, consistency, intensity, and absolutely insisting on it uh, with your athletes that if a 90-year-old walks in the door, uh, you should be able to get her into Fran for the workout of the day without any problem. Uh, and she should be able to come out of it with a smile and having made a couple new friends. That's good coaching. We have used our same routines for elderly individuals with heart disease and cage fighters one month out from televised bouts. We scale load and intensity. We do not change programs. We get requests from athletes from every sport looking for a strength and conditioning program specific for their sport. Firemen, soccer players, triathletes, boxers, and surfers all want programs that conform to the specificity of their needs while admitting that there are surely programs or surely needs specific to any sport. The bulk of sport-specific training has been ridiculously ineffective. The need for specificity is nearly completely met by regular practice and training within the sport not in the strength and conditioning environment. Our terrorist hunters, skiers, mountain bikers, and housewives have found the best, their best fitness from the same regimen. And that concludes What is Fitness? Part one. We'll pick up with the next part next time. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the United by Strength podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the information that we were able to put out today. Please take from it what you want and leave what you don't. If you have feedback for us, please send it to unitedbystrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review if you have the time. It really helps people find the podcast and allows us to grow our base of listeners.